0: The College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. All right, welcome to the College Planning Edge podcast. My name is Andy Lockwood, and this podcast is all about helping kids get into the dream schools and parents pay wholesale prices. And today is a little different because uh, I have roped in a special guest, Steve Schwartz from the College Admissions Toolbox, uh, which is a much, it's like a grown-up podcast compared to my little thing. So, uh, Steve, welcome to the College Planning Edge. Thanks so much for having me, Andy. Glad to be you're, on. You're welcome. I hope you enjoy the snacks in the green room and the other celebrities that we're loitering.
1: Right, right. Yeah, it's it's interesting digs you got here. (laughs) Okay.
0: So, um, all right. So, uh, it's always cool to kind of swap ideas. And um, we we were talking the other week. We were kind of hit it off and just sharing some sort of business stuff. And um, I know that you are an expert in a few different facets of college planning and even uh, once upon a time, even helping people prep for the LSAT. So tell um, tell us and remind me a little bit about your background and and specifically how you became a college admissions uh, consultant.
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny how I fell into this. It was really through my own journey back when I was applying to college. I was in high school. I was involved in tons of extracurriculars, and I ended up going to a United Nations conference in South Africa the summer before my senior year of high school, and. That is what got me into Columbia. It was a out-of-left-field, incredible extracurricular where I was able to write my essays about it. I got letters of recommendation from government delegates. I was in the media. I was on CNN. And people were like, how did you do that? Because my numbers were not outstanding. I wasn't getting a perfect score on the SAT. I didn't have a 4.0. My, my grades were good, but not necessarily Ivy League-level material. And it really was the... It's the United Nations conference that set me apart. And so people were asking me later, how could I craft a compelling extracurricular for them? And the funny thing is you can't really craft it or else it'll be artificial. But it's really what's really more unique about this is that it creates this kind of failed simulation effect where other people can't trace the steps back to how you got there. And Cal Newport, a best-selling author, actually featured me in his book how to be a high school superstar as a result of this, which was pretty awesome. So basically I fell into this industry just because other people were asking me how to create something like this for them. And while you can't craft it all together from the beginning, there are little tweaks that parents can help their students make to end up in a similar position when they're applying to college in the end.
0: Yeah, that that is the origin story is very cool. Um, so, so when was that approximately? Like, when did you start first uh, working with kids to help them, you know, with admissions uh, advice? It
1: was pretty soon after I got into Columbia. Actually, while I was in, while I w- was at Columbia, I was helping the next grades below me do th- similar things in terms of writing about their extracurriculars or designing extracurriculars or how to frame them for their essays. And of course, not everyone's done something as impressive sounding, but no matter what a child has done there is still something in their background that they can frame properly to use as a hook for their application. And so it's about making the best of what you've got in front of you.
0: And and I just want to point out one of the coolest things I I think uh, or features about the college admissions toolbox is you've done, you know, I don't know how many, but dozens and dozens of interviews with actual former admissions officers. So you're not just basing, I imagine, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not just basing your, inform, uh, your, your advice uh, about what's going to resonate with admissions officers on your own experiences, but you're also using the, you know, the information that you've aggregated, but through your interviews, right?
1: Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that, Andy. So yeah, obviously I can't generalize everything from one particular case, which is my own, but yeah, I've had conversations with dozens of current and former admission officers on the College Admissions Toolbox podcast, and those help to kind of provide some insights into my own coaching with clients.
0: Right. So I think uh, that's a real edge that you're able to give. Okay. So um, so we're recording this in the beginning of August. The Common Application is out. And um, we should talk a little bit about the essay. So what, what's your advice on, I guess, choosing which essay to write about? Because there's seven choices, right?
1: Yeah, so there are a lot of choices. And there's not only the main essay, there's also all the supplementals as well. And so I typically recommend picking a few different potential topics for the main Common App essay. And writing drafts of each one, maybe not an entire 650 word draft, maybe just a short paragraph on each of three potential topics and see which one might work best and then flesh out that one further from there. But as for a topic, of course, I think extracurriculars are a great topic because it's something that you weren't necessarily forced to do like your academics and they provide a little bit of more personal insight into the applicant's interests. So I think that's oftentimes a good topic, but it doesn't have to be about being president of a club or captain of the sports team. It could be something as simple as a random hobby, like rock collecting or something else random like that. It could really be anything. It's not about what you've done. It's about how you talk about it. And so I recommend picking something that you think is unique or interesting, provide some insight about yourself, and then using an anecdote as a jumping off point.
0: I think that's great advice. You know, the whole rock collecting thing is—is is, I know you, you're saying it. It's probably a real example, right? But as a yeah. as a joke, it's kind of funny. But I think what um, what I was thinking as you were saying that is, you know, so many kids feel as though they have to um, write some essay about how they cured cancer or single-handedly constructed a village in a third world country. All these like grand, you know, things and and something like rock collecting strikes me as very small, but I, I, I find when I, when I see essays, that's usually the ones that are about something small and personal that are the best ones.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's about how the applicant can write such a compelling essay about such a mundane topic. And just to elaborate a little bit along the lines of you know having been co- captain of the team or president of the club, you could also write a great essay about not having done those things like let's say you chose not to run for president of the club or let's say the child ran and lost that election ran for and lost what did they they learn from that failure it's not just about leadership anymore that was like a theme like 10 years ago in admissions everyone's like oh be the leader of the club be the president of the club and i think colleges have come to recognize that there's a little bit of artifice around that and it's more about just what do applicants actually want to do and Bringing some vulnerability and humility into the essay really does add a lot.
0: Um, I don't know if the leadership thing has filtered down to families yet, because I feel like you know one one of the jokes that I make that amuses basically me and very few other people is 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 that everyone apparently everyone applying to college is, is a leader. There's no followers at all. You know, it's all it's all chiefs, no Indians. So, which, which I don't know if we can say anymore, but, um, I, I, have been, I told a group of kids this weekend. I was like, listen, I can't recommend this professionally, but I'm dying for someone to write an essay along the lines of, you know what? Um, I'm just going to show up. You tell me what to do. Uh, I don't have any, you know, aspirations. Uh, <laughs> just, let me just I'll just follow You tell me what to do. So, so, um, I, I, th- I do think the leadership thing gets, gets overblown and, You know, there's different forms of leadership. Like, there's there's leadership like winning an election or or being a captain, but there's other forms of sort of, you know, for lack of a better word, personal leadership. Like when you did when you when when you're the runner-up, you know, what what do you do at that point? And that's that takes initiative, and and that's a form of leadership.
1: Yeah, or it could be in a particular context in a real-world situation. Like someone fell down in the subway, someone fell down the stairs. What do you do in that moment on the street? Right, where there's no framework, there's no clear call to action in terms of what to do. It's about taking initiative in that moment.
0: Yeah. It doesn't go on an activities sheet, sign a list of extracurriculars, right? Or anything like that. It's a personal action. Yeah, that's cool. Good example. All right. So um, speaking of extracurriculars, uh, I get this question a lot. I know you do too. Is is there a magic number of of extracurricular activities? I guess first tell us what an extracurricular activity is in, in terms of how you view it and then how many should someone have?
1: Well, the way I would frame it, you know, we could speak more broadly. There's co-curricular, which is in school, and then extracurricular, which is outside of school. So co-curricular would be like a school athletic team. An extracurricular would be like a, a league of some kind beyond like a county league or an intramural league outside of the school environment, or it could be a church or a synagogue or a, a food bank, a homeless shelter, something like that. That's a community organization oftentimes. Or a real world situation like an internship at a local newspaper, if any of those still exist anymore. So just something outside of the school environment. In terms of a right number, though, there is no magic number, of course. It's about quality, not quantity. And so I think if your list is going beyond what you can fill inside that form field, it's probably too much, which also says that you don't need to do a dozen because you can't fit them all in anyway, rather to focus on maybe maximum three or four, which I think is really the most that an applicant could reasonably Have some significant involvement in. So fewer is better, and more depth is better.
0: Yeah, depth versus breadth, right? Right. Yeah, I mean the the Common App has ten slots to describe extracurriculars. I'm sure you do too. I see kids who have you know like fifteen things. Um occasionally, uh, frequently actually, I'll, I'll see them submit separate resumes because some colleges will al- allow you to do that. But a lot of colleges, they don't. We don't we, like Duke, I think, says we don't want to see any ex- uh, resumes, just pick your top 10.
1: Right, which means you don't need to have done beyond 10 anyway because you wouldn't be able to tell them even if you did. And still, I think even 10 is really cramming it in. They know that whatever is 9 and 10 in your list, you were just a member who maybe went once a month, if that
0: yeah sure potentially and some kids don't have time to, also you know so you're you're based in in brooklyn but i know you have clients everywhere right um yeah. i'm in long island in new york and we have a lot of you know suburban kids who spend a lot of have a lot of time to do extracurricular activities relatively speaking and then we have a bunch of city kids who go to you know they spend an hour and a half commuting each way to bronx science or other other but, you know high schools they don't they can't possibly have Half of the extracurricular activities, so I don't think that penalizes them. I think what your advice here is is uh, is very good, just to go deep, and that should be enough.
1: Yeah, agreed. And that time, I live right near Brooklyn Tech, and so there's a lot of kids coming in from all over, and so absolutely that hour and a half on the subway, what can you do besides hit the books or or listen to music or something, right? And so those few hours that you have, you can make the most of them. They can be enough.
0: Good. So um, do you think it's possible for, for someone to create uh, a compelling extracurricular activity?
1: I think it's possible to put oneself in a situation where a compelling activity can naturally arise. So I think so part of this is being open to serendipity, open to randomness, but also putting oneself in the position to seek out randomness. So for example, in my in my story, I reached out to Maybe 100 different nonprofits looking for internships. Wow. And that's how I got this United Nations opportunity. I wasn't looking for the UN, but the UN came to me because I was reaching out to all these organizations. Obviously, not every kid is that self motivated. And right. parents, I'm telling you, don't do this for your children. It won't ever work out the way you want it to.
0: Thank you. That's the note for Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going really beyond <laughs> on that one. Yeah. But even, even just if your child, Reaches out to a few community organizations, asking to help out, asking to volunteer. I think going outside of the school environment is where more unique opportunities are likely to arise because every school has a captain of the team, a president of the club, the editor-in-chief. So those will be a dime a dozen. There's like millions of them. But if you are involved in a local organization where you're the only high school kid, that's something different by definition. And that allows the opportunity to take initiative in that context, and that can become compelling in the end. So I think it is about again going outside the school environment.
0: Yeah, there's no way I would have ever done something like that in high school like like you did. So you have obviously you're wired with a lot of initiative and hustle, and that's uh, that's very cool. Um, but for the average kid who's not like that, I, th- I think you know your example they'd be well served to, uh, to to follow a little bit or you know, to model it as as, as best they can, because I think you need to think outside the box and then, you know, show a little bit of uh, initiative. So that's great. Um, so let's get back to uh, essay writing. You know, when, when kids write about extracurricular activities, they have a tendency to sort of get very grandiose or uh, there's a lot of mistakes that they can make. So what, what, are, what are some of the best ways and worst ways to write about extracurriculars in, in the college essays?
1: Yeah, I think grandiosity is definitely a big one. I feel like When when getting personal, kids are often tempted to look in the thesaurus and find the biggest, most impressive sounding words to describe whatever they've done when it's really not necessarily that unique and also nobody really ever talks like that anyway. So I would say, keep it simple. Don't use a $10 word when a nickel word will do whatever that saying is. Keep Keep it simple. And also, I think the biggest pitfall is really to laundry list everything. Like, if you have 10, 10 activities you can list, people want to list all 10 or they want to list all 12 in chronological order and every single thing they did. That's not interesting to read. It's not compelling. And that's really what that list on the application is for. That's what a resume is for. So, I would suggest ideally picking one thing and again, going really deep on it, starting off with an anecdote as a hook in the moment, in a particularly exciting time at that activity or that extracurricular. And then zooming out from that to talk about lessons learned. And that could also be a great place, once again, to talk about failures. So again, with that grandiosity, kids are looking to pump, like, poof themselves up and brag a bit. That's not, that's not engaging. You want them to like you at the end of this. And so I think showing a little bit of humility, showing that maybe you succeeded at one thing but failed at another thing, and what you learned from each of those could be a really good way to frame it.
0: Now, um... The, the, the essays about extracurricular activities, are those uh, only in the supplementals or are they just peppered throughout the common application essay prompts? Like, where, where, When do you know when it's appropriate to write about an extracurricular activity?
1: Honestly, I see them as being peppered throughout. Obviously, there's a variety of, of prompts on the essays and the topics can change from year to year, but ultimately, they're just jumping off points you can twist it however you want in the end. So I think there's a way to work an extracurricular into virtually any essay topic.
0: That's good. But I love your point. I see this all the time also about not just regurgitating what's elsewhere on the application. It's not additive to recite everything that's on your activity section. Uh, so anyone listening, I hope they listen to, to your advice there because that's very painful to read personally. Um, do you have any particular strategies to, to share about essay writing or techniques? And I guess my, my last question right after that is, like, when should people start this? Again, this is beginning of August. I'm not sure when they'll be listening to this, but when you recommend they start.
1: Yeah, anyone listening now, start now. You know, good writing takes time. And so the more time that you have to go through draft after draft, the better the ultimate result will be in the end. So if you can write a draft now, put it away for a week or two, come back revise, put it away again, show to a wide variety of people, get expert help editing it, or at least English teacher, guidance counselor, consultant, friend, whomever, the more people you can show it to and give them time to revise it and get feedback, the better. Obviously, there's such thing as too many cooks, and you want people who are going to give honest feedback, so consider that. But more time is, of course, on average, better. In terms of a writing strategy, I would say the, the one I love the most, the one that I use with all my students is write a rough draft that is three times at least the ultimate length of the final draft, and mm-hmm. then we can cut it down together. Because the average kid, you know, it's long-winded, they're laundry listing everything. You know, I've got to help them cut out, cut out the garbage to keep the good stuff in the end. Usually 2,000 words only contains five to 600 words of solid, substantive content, if that. So we usually need to go through multiple rounds where the where the student is writing rough draft material, and I'm helping them pick out the nuggets that are actually worth including in the final draft.
0: That's, that is great. You know, one of the things I, I say uh, ad nauseum is there's no such thing as as good essay writing. There's good essay rewriting, which which uh, you as one of your first comments basically, and, uh, and other other words. I I think the essays definitely need time to breathe in between drafts. And I think sometimes your subconscious mind will, will still be working on the essay even when it's tucked away in a drawer or on your laptop somewhere. Um, but I liked your comment about too many cooks in the in the kitchen because um, you you can't listen to you know your mom, your cousin, your guidance counselor, your English teacher, you know whatever. You have to be very careful about whom you pay attention to. And Steve, you're you know you're clearly an expert in this, so uh, I hope that um, people pay attention to you and then after you're done with them, at least then maybe open it up, you know, for open the draft up, the final draft up uh, for discussion, you know, maybe with people who know them better than, than, you know, the client or something like that. So I I feel like you can't prevent other people, right. From, from looking at the essay, but do you ever try to guide your clients uh, in in a way to how to manage that process when the mom wants, you know, wants to be involved with every draft?
1: It's, it's a tough thing,
0: obviously, because, you know, parental involvement
1: is, is obviously important. But at a certain point I think families have to recognize if they're hiring someone like myself or yourself, they're making a decision to place their trust in us in terms of the essay writing process. And if you have contradictory advice from one party and another party, you do have to make a decision in the end. There's only one draft you're going to submit.
0: Have you ever, I mean, I think I know the answer to this one. Uh, Have you ever ever read an essay draft from a child that was clearly not written by that child?
1: Oh yeah, of course, course. definitely. (laughs) And you no, know, admission officers can tell too. They can tell. They know what high school exactly. students write like. They write much differently from middle-aged folks and from English teachers and anybody else. Right. So it's really important to keep the child's voice in the essay, the phrases they use, the vocabulary they use, and the kinds of things they talk about too.
0: Yep. Yeah. I think an A minus. You know, a kid with a 93 average is probably not going to write a Pulitzer Prize winner. That's right. Right. It doesn't matter,
1: and that's not the goal. It doesn't have to be the perfect piece of writing. I think the key is that it's personal and authentic, and that's what really matters much more.
0: All right. Well, that um, this is great. This is really a lot of fun. Uh, Steve Schwartz, College Admissions Toolbox. How do people find you? How do they get in touch with you?
1: Best way to find me, reach out to me, is email me personally, steve at collegeadmissionstoolbox.com. And of course, the podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and pretty much everywhere else.
0: Awesome. All right. Thanks for being a guest with me, Andy Lockwood, from the College Planning Edge. And we'll talk soon. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you like what you hear, please give us a uh, glowing review in uh, in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks again, Steve, and talk to you soon. Thanks, Andy. Hi, this is Andy Lockwood. Don't forget to visit our website, LockwoodCollegePrep.com. For some more free, valuable information on how you can multiply your chances of admission to your dream colleges and qualify for thousands or tens of thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships along the way, visit LockwoodCollegePrep.com for information on our free upcoming workshops and webinars and to download a copy of our number one best-selling book, How to Pay Wholesale for College. That's LockwoodCollegePrep.com. Bye-bye.